what up, what up? Happy to be here with y'all. Have a, another Myrtle Beach special vacation episode here. I'm going to talk NFL and NBA, as always. I uh, wanted to start the show by circling back and talking about the new recent Kyler Murray contract details. Uh, we talked about in a previous episode how most people uh, are high on Kyler Murray, uh, kind of ignoring any character or leadership issues that are now well documented. And his new year deal, uh, five years, 230 mil extension through 2028. And recent news in the contract shows a deal to have him engage in at least four hours of, quote, independent study, end quote, during each week of the season, starting from the Monday after training camp ends through the last game on the schedule, which includes the playoffs. So, you know, at first I heard this and figured, you know, this might be standard contract language for quarterbacks. Maybe not everybody has it, but it's probably happened in the past. We've certainly had, you know, position players, quarterbacks that, you know, aren't exactly Peyton Manning in the film room or off the field. So um, did some digging, and it looks like by, you know, Mike Florio, some other NFL experts that they're calling this unprecedented, meaning <laughs> we don't know if other quarterbacks or other players even have had this contract you know, clause in the past, and it's really concerning, okay? And I know most of you out there love Kyler Murray. He's a video game quarterback. He's strong arm, can move, you know, but he has some issues, like I voiced last week, um, injury concerns, leadership concerns, commitment concerns, you know? So I think this goes to speak on, you know, Kyler Murray's character and commitment to the game. You know, if you're going to pay a guy $230 million, what other incentive does he need? to put in the extra time, you know, above his teammates, you know, to support his coaches, to support the rest of the organization. So it's concerning, you know, and people are saying, oh, you know, this is standard, probably, you know, not a big deal, probably normal contract language, you know, and that may be true, but reports are indicating the opposite. So, you know, I'm not here to say I was right, <laughs> because I could certainly be wrong in this situation, but I'd express my apprehension to you know, this deal and, you know, his character and his leadership issues. Like I said, they had to bring in Mr. Watt and some other players to kind of take over a leadership or a veteran role in that locker room, which, you know, even a quarterback a few years into the league can take control like Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, those guys. They don't need to bring in leaders, right? And you can say what you want. The Cardinals were irrelevant before him. Um, which is absolutely true, you know, outside the Super Bowl years with, you know, the catch in the Steelers game and losing that game. Um, but this is concerning. Very, very alarming news for me, honestly. Like, you are at one of the most premium paid positions in America. In America. And in your contract, you have to have that you basically don't play video games <laughs> and that you have independent study, you know, at least four hours a week outside of everything else you're doing for the team. Do you think they had to tell Peyton Manning to have independent study time, you know, built in his contract? Do you think they have to tell Tom Brady in his, what, 22nd year that he has to have independent study time? Heck no. Not a chance. Because these guys are pros. They know that it takes extra effort to win, extra effort to outplan to outsmart your opponents to give you you know an edge and as a quarterback if you're getting this much money 
you mean so much to the state, the city, the franchise, you know, the league, the world. So you think you got to this far, you know, with your ambition and your skill and that you were doing whatever it takes to get the advantage up until this point, and this shouldn't be anything new for you on the next level uh, in terms of taking advantage and working harder than your opponents. And to me, this is a direct indictment on Kyler Murray. A direct indictment, you know. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's like you're handing him the keys to the Ferrari, and then it's like, oh, you got to be in by seven every night. You know, do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? So, this is very concerning news for me on a player I'm already, you know, skeptical of, to say the least. And, you know, technically a breach of this contract in any way, including this clause, um, would jeopardize his guaranteed money. So it's a bigger deal than, you know, it might seem at face value. Um, you know, how will the Cardinals track this? You know, the NFL um, and teams invest a lot of money in, you know, with Microsoft and iPads, which, you know, um, give teams the ability to disseminate information and potentially track players, so maybe they do it through the iPad um, to ensure that he's doing this, but, you know, details and future details aside, uh, this information is very concerning because, like I said, if you're giving a guy this much money to be the guy um, for your team, for your organization, um, it's concerning that you have to put these sort of limitations and basically give him homework, <laughs> you know, like in elementary school. So um, very concerning. Um, but again, bottom line, the clause wouldn't be there unless the owner, unless the coach, unless the team thinks that there's a legitimate reason for it, which goes to show that, you know, the Cardinals, they don't really have a choice. You can't let a talent like this walk. He's made your franchise relevant. But this isn't a signed, sealed, delivered deal. You know, They are concerned. They have their concerns, and it's clear based off the language of this contract. So, And we'll see how this plays out in the future. Um, you know, I was looking at this story, and it's not, it's not similar in the sense that they're equal players, but it reminds me of the Jamarcus Russell situation. <laughs> um you know, highly touted pick coming out of college, had tremendous talent, um, some character questions, commitment questions, and what they did, you know, the team, is uh, basically give him blank film and send it home and say, hey, hey, son, did you watch this film? And he goes, yep, coach, I got it, and they're just blank tapes, <laughs> which that story will always crack me up. Jamarcus Russell's career always cracks me up, but not that they're the same. I mean, Kyler's more established and done a lot more in the league than Jamarcus Russell, but um, some of their commitment, you know, is a parallel to me because, you know, even at the highest level, some guys have enough talent their whole lives uh, to sort of get to this moment without being Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and level of commitment. And, you know, Kyler is touted as the, you know, best player coming out of Texas high school football, which is no joke. You know, obviously one of the best, if not the best, football, you know, prospect state in the country, at least traditionally. And then going basically winning a Heisman, being the best college quarterback at his time, even with his height and his other issues, uh, it's pretty remarkable. So his, his talent is undeniable. It's just when you get to this level, at some point, you got to work harder than other people to keep your advantage. 
You can't just continue to skate on talent alone at this level. It will not sustain you for a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning level career. It's just not possible. So I'm not here shelling hate at Kyler Murray. Uh, I want players to get their money, like I always say, and I hope he has nothing but the best career and the best football days in front of him. But all the recent character stuff and injuries and now this new contract news with commitment issues arising um, is concerning. So I hope the young man can take this in stride and turn it around. But at this point, it's really on him. He has weapons. He's got the big contract extension. Really has no other excuses. So really hope he can stay true to this contract, put in more work, and really build his game and stay healthy and make the Cardinals a forefront team in the NFL. Uh, you know, last year's playoff game, obviously against a Super Bowl chance, very good team. Uh, probably one of the worst playoff games that I've ever seen individually from not just any player but a quarterback, and it was really disgraceful. And he's very fortunate, in my opinion, to basically have the leverage even still with all these questions surrounding him and after that playoff performance to get a mega deal like this. So, like I said, hoping he can turn it around, but only time will tell. So excited to watch the Cardinals when they open up this season. I'm sure they'll get off to a hot start as usual, but we'll see if they can carry it into the postseason this year. Something they really haven't done in the Kyler Murray or Cliff Kingsbury era. So, can't wait for the season. Should be a good one to play out. Stemming off Kyler Murray, I want to talk about why young prospects, um, quarterback, MLB prospects, you know, usually they play both sports um, and get to the highest level of both. Recent examples, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, guys that are really talented in both sports and the choice they have to make basically in college of whether they want to pursue a career in football or baseball. And it's interesting to look at really. Um, of course it all comes back to the money. These guys um, taking time to choose but ultimately usually choosing football. Um, nowadays, like we, like we talked about, the salary cap always goes up. In the NFL, they're printing cash. The quarterbacks are more protected than ever. They're making more money than ever. Um, and you get a lot more fame, in my opinion, uh, in the NFL. Uh, once you're on the roster after draft day, you know, you're one of maybe three quarterbacks on the roster. And, you know, if you're a high draft pick like these guys were, you have a really good chance of starting right away in today's NFL and coming into the spotlight basically right away and getting these mega deals in, you know, four five years most guys getting extensions or mega deals before even playing out the rest of their rookie contract so you know it's no no surprise that guys like guys like that are basically picking the nfl i mean you look back at the mlb and they have mega contracts as well not just for pitchers but for outfielders we'll take kyler murray as an example he probably wasn't going to be a pitcher right he was going to play you know infield or outfield and if he chooses baseball, he doesn't just get elevated right away to a starting lineup in the leagues, not even on their depth chart. He starts in the minors, and even some of the best baseball players of all time spend years in the minors. Look at Derek Jeter, spending multiple years in the minors. He's one of the best players we've ever seen, one of the game's most famous stars. And sure, he got rich and made a great career for himself, but what are the odds that Kyler Murray or Pat Mahomes or Russell Wilson could have done that for themselves? You know, Kyler Murray in baseball could have bounced around the minors for a couple of years. Um, honestly, coaches could have even changed his position. They could have had, you know, infield, center field, whatever. 
and he wouldn't really have a say over that. So um, obviously the NFL is the more lucrative option uh, in terms of if you're a quarterback. And now you do have a chance in baseball. You see the Bryce Harpers, you know Juan Sotos, all those guys that are getting these mega deal offers, um, which obviously sets them up for the rest of their career, which are similar to NFL contracts, at least in total value, maybe even a little bit more. Um, but usually those contracts in baseball are double-digit years. Uh, it's just crazy to think about, right? These young athletes excel in both these sports their whole lives, and then they have to make a decision. I remember particularly Kyler Murray's situation. There were some people thought that he might play both, and I remember the initial sort of speculation was that he was going to choose baseball, and it felt like to me that he took a long time to mold his decision over and ultimately, I think, made the right decision and chose, chose the NFL. The lives of NFL players, even veteran minimum or even rookie contracts that are small, even if you're not the top pick, are better than these minor league contracts, these minor league deals. You know, the state of baseball is in trouble, in my opinion. The minor league system, you know, is a good way for teams to farm talent and get good evaluations on guys, but it's not always conducive to the lifestyle of, you know, a professional athlete, right? They're on the road a lot. They don't get paid much. Their accommodations are very, very little, and it's really not a glamorous lifestyle. It's a lot of hard work. Um, your talent's not always recognized and often takes years to even elevate past the initial level, let alone get into the starting lineup and play years in the MLB to get offered a mega deal. So I think the way the sports are set up has a lot to do with it. Again, baseball is obviously really popular, but the NFL is king. It just immediately prints cash, especially for quarterbacks, if you have talent like these guys do. So I'll never fault anybody for picking MLB, you know, the quarterback prospects that may have picked baseball in the past, but I think picking the NFL right now is the right decision. The league is only protecting quarterbacks, only trending in the direction of offense, and basically coddling these guys to be their cash cows. So couldn't be a better time to choose football. And I think baseball really has to look at their structure and say, hey, what can we do to make this you know, easier for these top multi-sport athletes to pick us and basically keep our sport relevant in the landscape of technology and short attention spans and the other sports seeming to basically capitalize on the open market. So um, like I said, I never fault any guy for picking whatever they want to do, but I think picking football is definitely the right decision uh, for these superstar quarterback strong arm prospects, and I can't fault them for doing so. Wanted to switch over to the NBA and the recent news of the KD trade market basically heating up with the Boston Celtics. And I saw the deal on the table. Um, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a first rounder for KD, uh, which ultimately is going to have to be tweaked for basically the Nets to go through with it. But wanted to talk about, you know, maybe why the market's not as hot as we thought uh, for Kevin Durant. And from the Celtics' perspective, is this a good trade? Would you sweeten the pot to get Kevin Durant? So why is the market for Kevin Durant dry? He's one of the best players right now, if not, you know, top three, top two players in the league in terms of talent, just behind Giannis, in my opinion. Uh, why isn't the market hot? Why aren't every team in the league trying to trade everything they can for Kevin Durant? You know, I think, can he win a championship on his own? He's getting older. How many years left does he have? Is he going to have LeBron's longevity? Um, all that is certainly 
fair to question, but I think it really comes down to NBA contract details on this situation. Um, there's a rule called the NBA's designated rookie rule that basically states that each team is allowed to have two players on a five-year extension after the end of their rookie contracts, but you can only have one of them be from a trade. So, for example, uh, the Nets with Ben Simmons, he's on a five-year rookie extension, so he applies for this rule, and he was acquired by a trade for the James Harden deal back in February. So other players like Donovan Mitchell, Bam, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, they're also currently on five-year rookie extensions, which means Brooklyn would basically have to trade Ben Simmons before getting any of them in return for a Durant trade because you can't have two guys on a five-year extension both from trades. You can have one of them be Ben Simmons and another one be a player that you you know basically drafted and is homegrown, but that's not the case for the Nets. Um, Jalen Brown, on the other hand, is not one of those players on a five-year extension. He signed a four-year, 115 mil contract extension in 2019. So the Nets would be able to keep Jalen Brown and Simmons on the roster, which I think is why the pathway for this deal is easier than some other basically teams in the market for Kevin Durant can offer because of this contract loophole. Um, but on the other hand, do we consider that Jalen Brown might be the best player on the table for this Durant deal? It seems like you know he's the unsung hero behind Jason Tatum, but whenever they get in a deep playoff situation, Tatum turning the ball over and not having good games consistently, um, at least on a regular basis in the biggest, brightest moments, seems like Jalen Brown takes over and really doesn't have a problem picking up Tatum's slack and stepping into the spotlight. And I think he actually still is an underrated player, even though he's being compensated handsomely. Um, but we talk about the main destinations, Celtics, Heat, Suns, Raptors. But, you know, what package could these teams offer? The Heat can't offer Bam because of that rule we discussed, the designated rookie rule. So you'd have to just do bench pieces, which, yes, they have a lot of, but is it worth it for Kevin Durant from the Nets' perspective? I mean, Tyler Hero, Duncan, the rookie, Nikola, things like that. I don't know if it's really worth it for a player of Kevin Durant's caliber. So, And then, and then you look at the Suns. They can't trade DeAndre Ayton after locking him into extension a couple of weeks back. Um, so a deal would really revolve around Mikhail, Cam Johnson, and guys like that. And, again can't do Booker without training Simmons because he's on that five-year rookie extension thanks to that rule. Then Toronto, I heard um, earlier as well, will they offer Scotty Barnes the rookie of the year? You know, if not, basically they have OG Ananobi and Gary Trent, but again, Kevin Durant's a generational talent, so that's what makes this really, really difficult. You know, how long is he going to play? Is he going to stay healthy? Can he win a championship without Stephen Curry, which I think at this point is a legitimate concern. You know, I know there's a lot of backlash on that point as well, but to me, he has not shown that he can win a ring without Steph Curry, and that's concerning. You know, say what you want about LeBron, he's won a ring in three different organizations, totally different organizations in Cleveland, Miami, and L.A. Um, so you really can't take that away from him, and it's just a lot to consider in this Durant deal, right? He's got a history of bailing, um, LeBron doesn't, and I don't know, it's just a lot to consider, and if I'm the Celtics, um, you know, there's a lot of public speculation, and Jalen Brown is obviously unhappy on Twitter, um, 
saying basically SMH, shake my head, and really basically upset that he's involved in these deals. I feel like he's, you know, with his extension with the Celtics, feels like he's a big part of their success personally, and I'm inclined to agree with him. You know, I think they did the right thing, as we talked about in previous episodes. They built through the draft, and they're really set up for a run for the next several years for the East. And the question really comes down to is, do you want to keep Tatum, Smart, Brown, and bring in pieces around them and basically be set up for the next decade? Or do you want to trade away basically one of the NBA's most promising, you know, sort of rising stars for basically a rental Kevin Durant for who knows how many years, not many, and, you know, basically bank on him and Tatum to try to get a championship. So it's definitely a risky move, I think more from the Celtics' perspective. Um, The Celtics were two wins away from a championship, and in my opinion, they got better. They really did. They got Malcolm Brogdon um, and really some other pieces that are really nice, and they should be up there with one of the favorites, you know, the Warriors, Bucks to be a title contender next year. So the other question is, you know, you're Boston. Do you want to really give up Jalen Brown with another piece? Uh, I know it's only one first round in Derek White, but really I think the, the Nets are interested in this deal, but I think they really, really want another piece, and I think that piece personally is Marcus Smart. Um, not as valued in basically public circles as he is in the league. I think he's one of those assets sort of the unsung heroes that we talk about that when the championship is on the line, you want him on your team on both sides of the ball. Um, And as well, you know, he has great leadership ability as well, even with Tatum and Jalen Brown being the main stars there. And if I'm Boston, even to get a player like Kevin Durant of his caliber, I'm not inclined to include Marcus Smart in that deal. You know, maybe I'd offer another draft pick or two, see if Brooklyn will bite. Um... Because I think ultimately trading Jalen Brown away for Kevin Durant, as long as you can keep Marcus Smart, I think that keeps you in relevant contention for the next couple of years. And I think that would be, you know, worth it. I really do. Um, so I see the Celtics offer from their point of view. Um, I also see it from the Nets' perspective. Say, hey, we get a player we can build around with for 10 years. We have Simmons, some other pieces. Um, looks like Kyrie is locked in no matter what Kevin Durant does based off his recent comments to the media. Um, so you could probably try to make that work. You know, Kyrie, Simmons, Jalen Brown, and it looks like you have a good start at least to be competitive and add some extra pieces and try to rebuild Brooklyn. Um, but again, I think the Nets want more in terms of draft picks. I think they, I think they honestly just want Marcus Smart in the deal, and they'd probably do it today. Um, so we'll see if Boston bites. We'll see if they give up two of their three top assets to get one of the best NBA players of all time. Um, so I don't know. It's a really volatile, fire-sparked situation right now. Um, tensions are high. It's getting personal. Um, Jalen Brown is not happy. I'm sure Kevin Durant is not happy. I really don't think Kevin Durant wants to spend another minute with Kyrie on the basketball court or in the locker room for that matter. And I think in the next week or two, we should have our answers. And it's really interesting because I think this can go either way. Um, Ultimately, I'm kind of leaning towards they get the deal done. I really am. I think Boston sees, hey, we love our core. We really do. But do we think just with the guys we have, can we beat the Warriors? Can we beat these, you know, a healthy Bucks team? And I think they're scared. And I think, you know, 
it's in good faith, but I think they have the right to be. And how can you pass up a player like Kevin Durant? So it's interesting to see how this will play out. Um, with this new news, I do think the deal ultimately does get done at some point, but we'll see what it has to take for each side to come to an agreement. Uh, but wanted to just touch on that uh, recent news, just because I think it's more than we see as fans. Like, oh, Celtics will be so good with Kevin Durant, um, even if they had to give up Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, whatever, or, oh, why don't the Heat get Kevin Durant? They'd be sick with Jimmy Butler, and they just have to give up some bench pieces, all that stuff. And it's just not that simple. Um, even in the NBA, it's just not that simple. Um, with the contract clause that we discussed on the table, the NBA's designated rookie rule with those two player on five-year extensions following the end of their rookie contracts, but you can only have one of them via trade. So it really prevents these teams from basically trading from two studs um, after their rookie contract extension, uh, which I think is a good rule, honestly. I think it's a really good rule because it kind of at least helps make it more difficult to basically gobble up um, pay the most money and gobble up these really good young rising superstars which could set you up for the next decade and tries to keep the league more even keel, more competitive. So I don't know. I've heard a lot of people out there say that this Kevin Durant deal is, is you know, installed because teams are just out on Kevin Durant. You know, they're just worried about can he stay engaged, can he stay healthy, and can he bring you a championship. And I've been critical of Kevin in the past. Obviously, you know, I'm a LeBron guy, and often those two camps get split. Um, but I really do believe in Kevin's ability on the court and his ability to bring a championship without Steph Curry. And I think it is in the Celtics' best interest to do everything they can short of giving Marcus Smart or giving an additional few assets of getting him. So if they can basically give another draft pick or two, maybe throw in another rotational player, and somehow the Nets agree to that, that would be in the Celtics' best interest. I thought this recent story was interesting with J.J. Redick and Jerry West in this recent media controversy over basically differences in NBA eras. Um, I want to start off by saying I have great respect for both of these guys. I love J.J. Redick. I think he was a good NBA player. I love his time for the Sixers. Um, and he loves Philly, which means I love him. So definitely biased there. Um, really think he's been doing a good job stepping into his role in the media as an NBA analyst. Um, but his recent controversy about Celtics legend Bob Cousy basically saying he was being guarded by plumbers and firemen and that guys today would basically just run circles around them. Uh, Jerry West obviously firing back, uh, standing up for his fellow era superstars and saying, you know, who is this guy basically? He's averaged 12 points in his career in the league. You know, who is he to say this? Um, you know, being in Morgantown right now and seeing all the shrines to Jerry West and what he means to not only, you know, that area, but also basketball. I mean, he's the freaking logo. So a lot of respect for both of these guys. Um, but I think this just goes basically to show, you know, all jokes aside, um, comparing NBA players in different eras is just not possible. It's just really not possible, right? Um, before he landed in Boston, um, Cousy was basically managing gas stations and working as a driving instructor. Um, so it's not that J.J. Reddick's statement was technically inaccurate while prudent. Um, you know, they couldn't, the players of that era, they couldn't devote all the time for skill development and training that all these modern players could because they had to use their downtime to make a living. 
let alone today we have such advances in technology, nutrition, science, all these things we know and money we've invested that we just couldn't back then. And it helps keep these players healthy and basically craft their game and work on their skill and you know be able to be as awesome as they are right now, just frankly. I mean, more resources, we know more. It's, it's easier to, to do this as a career now than it was back then. You can make an amazing salary doing so. You have all the resources at your disposal, and it's you know the only thing you can focus on if you want it to be. And where these guys in you know basically 50s, 60s, stuff like that had to do other things to support their family, and they can't just do basketball 24-7. So I know there's a lot of disrespect and grudges being held right now from players of different eras. Um, <laughs> he said... Tell me what his career looked like, Wes said. What did he do that determined games? He averaged 12 points a game in the league, which I think is hilarious, honestly, um, to sort of shovel some disrespect back to J.J. Redick. Um, But like I said, I respect both these guys, and they're not both totally off base, uh, which just goes to show I don't think the topic is the disrespect, the hate between these players, or um, hate might be a strong word, but basically... Um, the pride they feel for themselves and their era, I, I think it's more about, you know, we just have to come to terms as a society, in my opinion, that we have to give up the player comparisons from era to era. We have to. We're always consumed by who's the best, who's the top one all time, you know. That's it. In all the sports, especially NBA and football, it's always the topic, right? Um, of course, with football, uh, the debate's kind of cooled off since Tom has seven rings now um, and has done it without Belichick and really cemented himself in that position. Um, Sixth-round draft pick, no story better than his determination, grind to get to where he is today. I think that question's kind of been put to bed. But even still there, I mean, how can you compare any of those guys to each other? All those guys like Bradshaw, Aikman, Elway, Montana, obviously they were amazing in their time, but how can you compare them to Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen? They just were brought up in different eras. There's so much money, so much resources, so much more we know now than they knew. And honestly, I think people just like to get riled up about these debates, which I understand. I have these debates often with my friends, my colleagues, and it's a lot of fun, but it's not worth getting butthurt over. It's not worth ruining friendships or relationships over. It's just different eras, and we need to we need to respect that. I think the important lesson from Jerry West here and J.J. Redick is basically that we as a society get this great entertainment, this great joy from these athletes that are now well compensated. We just need to enjoy greatness while we're seeing it. That's it. We don't need to say, oh, you know, Bob Cousy and Jerry West, you know, all these legends that helped pave the way for our game, um, for what it is today and make it into what it is today. We, we don't have to just crap on them because they're not as good as modern NBA players. Of course they're not. Of course they're not. But that's not the point. All the differences in eras, the resources, all the difference in time, it's just crazy. And, and it just relates again to the debate that we just keep having about who's the best all time, LeBron, Jordan, LeBron, Jordan, LeBron, Jordan. And, you know, I didn't watch Jordan. I wasn't really alive for his prime. Uh, But obviously seeing the highlights and 
seeing the documentary and everybody's public opinion, it's clear that he's one of the best players to ever step on the court. Um, but it really bugs me when we get into these LeBron James Jordan debates and it's just an indictment on LeBron for all these reasons. And regardless of what you believe, <laughs> like I said, it's not worth being disrespectful or losing friends or colleagues over. I think we really just need to learn as a society to appreciate what is in front of us, to appreciate what we have. And that goes through all veins of society. It's just very evident to me in sports right now. As Just appreciate what our great country has. Just appreciate it. It's LeBron freaking James. Dude, the guy out of Akron, Ohio had more coverage coming out of high school than anyone I can ever remember. He was being marked as the chosen one coming out of high school. And he stepped right into the NBA with a garbage franchise, a garbage roster, and immediately, immediately brought them to relevancy. Immediately. And has not stopped since. For basically 20 years, he's been one of, if not the best player for all those years. When's the last time you can remember that for 10 years straight, 10 years, he was the unquestioned best player in the NBA for 10 years, minimum. Other, I mean, you go, you go all the way back to Jordan, Kareem, those guys, there's not many of them. There isn't. And we don't know who the next one's going to be or if there will be a next one. So we got to appreciate what we have in front of us. Just respect the players, respect the game, respect the differences in eras, and just appreciate the insanely awesome entertainment we get from these guys putting their bodies on the line, dedicating every minute to their craft to help their teams win, but to ultimately give the fans joy and give us a good product. So it really, really gets me going when we just debate and disrespect players like that um, from different eras. And I really don't think there's any use in comparing these guys from era to era for those differences. Um, it's just really, really frustrating when you see guys basically get all in a tizzy and even lose friends. Um over arguments and debates like this that I think are just at you know a fundamental value just flawed so more of the story guys just appreciate what we got we don't know how many years of LeBron we have left we don't know who the next LeBron necessarily is going to be obviously there's Giannis Luca stuff like that uh, we don't know who the next Tom Brady's going to be but we have Mahomes Allen Herbert Burrow Lamar all those guys just appreciate the greatness enjoy it watch it with your friends watch it with your family just enjoy it these guys are putting their bodies on the line for our entertainment ultimately and i couldn't be more happy to have sports in america i couldn't be more happy that the nba and nfl are so entertaining and are so fun to watch and they bring us all together so just enjoy it bottom line i've had enough of these arguments um, but that's really all i'll say on that i just wanted to you know i couldn't help bringing lebron into this conversation so i apologize for that um, but I really think it's more about, you know, the understanding of these issues rather than Jerry West and J.J. Reddick basically criticizing each other and making the tabloids. To finish up the show here today, just wanted to talk about the NFL draft, right? We just had that a couple of months back. Everybody's hyped up, rightfully so. A lot of great players going off the board, especially in the early rounds, and I think a lot of teams feel like they crushed it and... You know, there's always analysts and everybody else giving draft grades, which I think are some of the most interesting things we do in sports. Um, spend months and months scouting, recruiting, um, picking these guys up for NFL teams, and then we grade their performance from the outside, um, really just based off these 
these guys' college performance and also based off which evident leads the team has from our perspective. You know, did they draft a tight end when they needed a tight end? Things like that that really go into these draft grades. And ultimately, uh, these guys are good. The guys who do the draft grades are good. Obviously, the scouts do their work. The organizations do their homework. You make the most informed decision and the best decision for your franchise that you can make. And some teams are a lot better than that at others traditionally, and that certainly goes into draft grades as well. Um, but it comes down to you really have no freaking clue. You don't. You have no freaking clue. And anybody, at least from the outside um, perspective, that says, you know, this team's an A plus from the draft. This team's a C minus. You really have no clue. You have none. Guys flame out all the time, and you have almost zero chance or zero way of predicting that. So I understand it's for you know media and hype for the NFL season, and I love it. It's definitely a thing we should continue, and I, I like I like hearing about it and speculating and talking about it. It's it's good conversation. It's good debate. But to act like these draft grades are the end all be all. Um, like some fans, some media perceives it, uh, it's pretty crazy to me. Pretty crazy. You don't know what happens. Rugs coming out of college. Amazing speed receiver. I wanted the Eagles to draft him. I was really bummed when we did not get him. Turns out, boom, bust. You know, that might be an extraneous circumstance, but goes to show that you really have no idea what's going to happen with these guys. Once they get money, once they step into the spotlight, you have no idea. None. So to sit here and say this team's better than this team based off of what we perceive to be true from the draft and the perceived needs that they have and the perceived character and skill abilities of the players drafted, you just really never know until they step into the highest level. Can these guys compete, stay healthy, stay committed um, with all this pressure, all this money, all this coverage from media and fans? You know, We never know how it plays out, but <laughs> nonetheless, I'm going to bite my own tongue here and talk about some of the draft grades I've seen, at least the top couple, maybe the bottom couple as well, um, just to give some examples. So starting off with traditionally a solid franchise in the Baltimore Ravens. From what I saw, I got the best draft grade of an A+. And, you know, I'm going to fall into the trap right here, <laughs> but I do love their draft. <laughs> they got Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. He's got his own pod over with the volume. Um, I really love that guy. I really do. I was really hoping the Eagles might take a waiver on him, which you say, hey, that's really high for his safety. Um, but I'm of the I'm of the belief. I'm in the camp that you know if you if you draft a guy traditionally higher than his position goes, but you think he's a Hall of Fame talent from everything that you've heard, everything that you've evaluated, I say go for it regardless of the position. Um, it's like the Quentin Nelson pick. I think he was like sick. Um, the Colts took him in the draft, and I remember at the time, you know, he was a great offensive lineman coming out, but that was a controversial pick at the time, right? Not some big left tackle um, to protect the blind side, but, you know, a guard. And look at him now. He's widely touted as one of, if not the best, offensive, not only guard, but lineman in the league. And I'm sure if his career continues, a lock hall of famer. So it's really hard to tease these things out. Uh, but again, I love the Kyle Hamilton pick. Uh, you go over to next pick, the center, Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. I think that's a great pick as well. Um, Ed Rusher, David Ajabu, um, shirt up two tight ends later in the rounds, um, some other line players as well, some corners. 
uh, really bolstering the roster overall. So I, I do think they really did have a great draft, um, considering they only had one first-round pick to start. Um, but they ended up with Hamilton, Linderbaum, and Joe go off the edge um, with some replacements or at least people to support Mark Andrews at tight end and some backs as well for the you know injury concerns they've had for J.K. and Gus Edwards. Uh, I think they really did have a good draft. Um, and I think they'll be back this year. Like I said in a previous video, I think they're going to win their division. Um, they're traditionally a great franchise, got a great quarterback, have a great roster when healthy, a good head coach. They're going to be in the driver's seat. They're going to be there to compete, uh, play Baltimore Ravens football, and I think they're going to be back this year in a big, big way. Uh, but transitioning to the second highest grade, uh, a lot of buzz here as well um, with the New York Jets. And say what you want about the Jets. Obviously, under-the-radar franchise, um, traditionally have botched draft picks in the past and been touted as not a great run organization. But they got their guy, or so they think, at Zach Wilson at QB. A lot to prove, but obviously a lot of talent there. And they go out and they get Sauce. <laughs> My man Sauce. Going to be a great corner in the league, at least I think so. They get a great receiver in Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Jermaine Johnson, a great edge rusher. Brees Hall, one of the best running backs in the draft. Um, a tight end, some line help, and edge help also. Um, you know, I think they're doing it right. I think they went out and they got weapons um, on both sides of the ball, especially for Zach Wilson, so they can get a fair evaluation and keep elevating his passing game and, you know, see what he has. So I think they're going to be good. They're going to be good in the sense that they're going to be better than they usually are. I'm not saying that they're going to be sniffing playoffs or pushing the Bills, you know, or Dolphins for that matter, for a run for their money, but they're going to be a saucy team. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> they're going to be a saucy team moving forward. Um, and honestly, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Jets fans. Um, when these big markets like New York, LA, um, Chicago, all those are, you know, alive and kicking. I think the NFL is in a better spot for it. So the NFL really wants, you know, the Giants, the Jets, these teams to burst into relevancy for the revenue and the, basically the fandom that they bring. Um, so I hope the Jets can turn around. It looks like they're on the right track with their last couple of drafts. Uh, moving into third, trying to be as impartial as possible, um, but my home Philadelphia Eagles getting an A-plus grade from most sites that I saw. Um had some controversy. I think they wanted to get a receiver, but um, a lot of receivers taking early some trade-ups, took some of their guys, I think. But they really pivoted well in that Jordan Davis, um, who has some flaws to his game, but it comes down to he's ginormous. He's playing next to Fletcher Cox, and he was on one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football history in the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, so I cannot hate this pick, how he always builds through the lines, offense and defensive lines. I really love the pick. And then we talked about, you know, Cam Jurgens. Um, I really went into Kobe Dean in that spot. Uh, they ended up getting both, which I absolutely love. Um, got another tight end linebacker. Obviously not a lot of picks this year. Traded some away in the past and also for um, the A.J. Brown deal, uh, which honestly I just kind of lumped that into their draft grade, and I think most people do too. Um, you, you know, A.J. Brown, stud receiver, some injury concerns, but I think he can help Jalen Hurts stretch the field and give big play compliment basically to Devonta Smith and Quez Watkins and help Miles Sanders run the football more effectively and Dallas Goddard underneath. 
And I think the Eagles, you know, drafting basically Jason Kelsey's replacement kind of tells you where that situation is going. I think he's got a year, maybe two left. Um, but I got a feeling it's his last year here. Um, defense, they showed up at all levels, did some free agency moves for pass rusher, safety, um, corner. I really like where they're headed. Some under-the-radar picks, but I think the Eagles are back this year. I do. I think they win the division, and I think they, you know, I'm not <laughs> very biased, of course. Uh, I don't think they're going to make a Super Bowl run um, necessarily. Uh, I wish they would. And, you know, maybe they do, maybe they prove me wrong, but I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But it all really falls on the shoulders of Jalen Hurts. Like I said, I think Howie learned from the Wentz debacle, and I think he's really doing everything that he can on both sides of the ball to make Jalen Hurts successful and say, hey, do we want to be, you know, giving him the next giant mega quarterback deal or not? So I applaud Howie. I applaud the Eagles for going all in to get everybody to get a fair evaluation of Jalen Hurts to make the most important decision a franchise can make in the future as do you lock in, you know, expensive deals for your guy, for your quarterback, um, which is a decision teams struggle with. Chiefs had a good draft. They ranked four at A, uh, grade of A, excuse me. Uh, Trent McDuffie out of Washington, some wide receiver, Sky Moore, head rushers, a lot of defensive picks, corners, safeties, linebackers um, as well. And you know them. I mean, it's Andy Reid, Veach, from the top down, down to Mahomes in the roster. They're just one of the best teams in the league. Um, I, I trust Andy. I trust Veach. They've been great in the past. Um, they're going to deliver again. They really are. I won't spend much time here on the Chiefs. Um, it's not a surprise that they had another great draft with their organization. And that's just what good organizations do. They continue year in and year out, up here, down here, to evaluate their team in a fair way and look in the mirror and say, hey, I know we got Pat Mahomes, I know Andy Reid and Beach, I know we're all great, but look in the mirror and say, hey, these teams are getting better. What can we do to get better? and to get ourselves back to the podium. So I applaud them for having another good draft. The Packers, the last two teams I'll touch on are the five and six ranked teams. Um, actually, that's allowed. I'll do five, six, and seven. Um, the Packers got an A grade. Obviously, they need weapons for Devontae Adams. Um, they got a couple of receivers, I believe three of them in the draft. Uh, Christian Watson going first for them. Still no first-round receivers for Green Bay. I think it's been, what, 20 years or so. Uh, plus, maybe since they've got a first-round receiver, which is pretty remarkable in today's weapon-driven era. Um, we've got linebacker Quay Walker. Um, I think Brian Gutenkunz and the Packers, you know, um, have been in trouble with Aaron Rodgers in the past, and I think they're, they've done a good job in the past couple of years of listening to Aaron and saying, at least, hey, you always complain about not having a defense. past couple of years, we've really bolstered the defense. They continue to do that this draft. And I think they're going to be one of the best defenses in the league. And you look at it from the Packers' perspective, and you say, hey, we really only have one team to truly compete with for the division in the Vikings. Yes, we lost the best receiver in football, but, I mean, we have one of the best, if not the best, skilled quarterbacks on, <laughs> at least in the regular season, um, on our side of the football. He's going to make things work. So if we really sure up, make ourselves have a top five defense, and you have Aaron Rodgers, how can you not be competitive? Really, how can you not be competitive? So, I think they actually did a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, they didn't get one of the top wide receivers coming out of the draft, but Aaron Rodgers is going to elevate these guys and make these guys great. 
So we'll see if any one of them can kind of, you know, not fill Devontae Adams' absence, but pick up some of the production that he leaves. Um, so it should be an interesting race for the division between them and, and the uh, Minnesota Vikings this year. Moving over to the NFC East arch-rival Dallas Cowboys getting an A grade in their draft. Got Tyler Smith, the guard, and some edge help with Sam Williams, and sort of some other random positions. The Cowboys, I will give them credit, they've traditionally, even with Jerry at the helm, have been a great drafting team in the past couple of years. They really have. It's not really always their fault that players don't work out, especially in the linebacker position. Um and some other things going on in that organization, but they do a good job drafting. They really do. I mean, you look at last year even, and they've done this previous years, but even last year is a prime example, Micah Parsons. Um, I think if the league really knew how good Micah Parsons would have been, he wouldn't have even been there for the Cowboys to pick up, honestly. He's <laughs> he's such a good player, we all know that. He's going to win Defensive Player of the Year at some point, if not this year. Um, just a remarkable talent out of local Harrisburg for me. Um, love to see the guy succeed, even though he's in the blue and white. I wish nothing but nothing but the best for him and, and the Cowboys, for that matter. But you know, as long as they're a winner, so behind the birds, <laughs> that'll do for me. But um, you know, they got tight end Jake Ferguson for some tight end help um, for Dalton Schultz. Uh, they lost Amari Cooper, um, Wilson. We'll we'll see how they do at receiver and if Dak can continue his level of play with the weapons that he has, or do they need to make a move before the deadline to get a star receiver? Um, so you know, we always say what happens, you know, what will go wrong in Dallas will go wrong. So see if they can pull it together. We'll see if Jerry can rein everybody in, rein himself in, and see if they can have a productive season. Which you know, they're in a weaker division. They tend to beat up on weaker teams, and that usually gets them around double digits and in playoff contention. So I expect them to be in the race. I just expect them to come behind a very up-and-coming and talented Philadelphia Eagles roster. Um, the last thing I want to touch on, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously a lot of controversy with quarterbacks coming into the draft. Um, Tennessee getting Malik Willis later in the draft than anyone expected him to fall, which I think is great for them, looking to maybe transition post-Ryan Tannehill era. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting pickup for them. But Steelers went with home, you know, a home pick, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Also got George Pickens from Georgia, um, Calvin Austin the third, and some other defensive help. Also picked up Connor Hayward, uh, which is pretty cool. And being on your brother's team, your brother being a veteran and one of the leaders of one of the best organizations traditionally in football, um, obviously he plays, he's drafted as tight end slash fullback, um, should get some touches for them. That's an awesome thing, man. Just to have your brother being on your same team, your hometown team, essentially. And that's gotta be so cool for their, for, you know, their mom and that family. So, um, I really love what the Steelers did there, but ultimately it's going to come down to, do they have their quarterback of the future? We know they've been struggling post Ben Roethlisberger prime to fill that hole, um, does Kenny Pickett have it? Right? Does he have it? Um, coming out scouting-wise, he's got good deep ball accuracy, solid athleticism. Um, you get outside speed with Pickens and Calvin Austin the third. Uh, you got Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. You got Fryermuth. You got Najee Harris. Steelers are starting to look scary. <laughs> and honestly, if Kenny Pickett or honestly Trubisky or whoever starts or plays most of the games for them. They're going to be good. 
They're going to be a top five defense. Now they have some weapons. If they can get some solid quarterback play, I might be eating my words on that Ravens pick. I really do. I think it's going to be the Ravens and Steelers. And, and of course, the Bengals will be vying for it as well. But um, that division is going to be tough. Really, really tough. Especially if they can get some good quarterback play from Trubisky or Kenny Pickett um, or whoever they end up rolling out. Um, So, again, these draft grades... All speculation, but I treat it more as a fun exercise rather than a Bible. Um, You know, it's just nobody truly knows. Kenny Pickett could come and tear it up for the Steelers and just make them one of the best teams in the league immediately. Um, You know, you could come out and look at uh, the Eagles and maybe Kobe Dean's always hurt. Maybe A.J. Brown's always hurt. You know, you you just never know. You never know how life is going to work itself out. You just hope that with your information, with the people you trust, with your scouts, with what you hear from college coaches, you just hope that your team made the most informed, logical decision that favors the future of the franchise. So, again, I think it's a fun exercise. I enjoy doing it. I know my friends enjoy doing it and talking about it. And, you know, it's fun to speculate and make predictions and things like that. But anybody who you know, basically stakes their claim on one of these things and won't back down. Um, is it either just a homer for the player or, you know, it's just delusional because you, you just don't know. There's no way to know. You know, really good quarterbacks fall to terrible teams and then they never really can rebound from that. It's um, a prime example. So I can't wait for the NFL season. I feel like I say this every week. I, I am just dying for week one of the NFL. I cannot freaking wait. It is going to be the best season to date. Like I said, we get Thursday night, Bills, Rams. God bless the USA. Like It's going to be an amazing, amazing season. I really can't wait. I appreciate everybody's support. You know, as the season gets closer, uh, we'll talk more more fantasy football picks, some sleepers that I think will be good for this year. Also this year, as the NFL rolls around each week, We'll be doing sort of a best bet or best lines scenario for a couple of picks that I think are the best bets of the week um, for the NFL. And also going to be talking some college football here, uh, you know, sort of in the next couple of weeks, how the Big Ten's looking, how the SEC's looking, what's going to happen to the pack, uh, Big 12, things like that. And also, you know, will they expand the college playoff? How will that all play out? Um, again, always available for questions on Instagram. Um, feel free to DM me. We'll go up on fan mail on future episodes. Happy to hear from all of you again. Love y'all. Appreciate all the support. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your family. Uh, let's help this pod get to more people and bring more joy to the world as sports does for so many of us. Uh, remember, spread the love. Spread the joy. Peace.